Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to the Happy Hour edition of the Patrick Lally Show on this grand and glorious day in the best little city in America. Welcome to two hours of the best and engaged and entertaining and energetic conversation on news and politics, health and wellness, economics and recreation. We're going to talk about international trade. Ah, I know, international trade. I know how much you love international trade, but it's important and you're going to like it. Trust me. Uber producer Dan Peters is in studio to keep you updated on the latest news and weather. You heard Dan at the top of the hour. And on behalf of Dan and I, thank you for spending some time with us today on your radio at Information 1000, KSOO, streamed live on KSOO.com, or and if you don't have this yet, you got to get it, okay, the new app, the new KSOO special station-specific app. Many of you folks out there probably got the, the Radio Pup app. It's a fine app. It's a fine app, okay? But you can get just the KSO app because I know how much you want to know about what's going on. And then you can stream live right off that baby. You can get your notifications when Dan publishes a bunch of fine, fine stories. That's You can keep up with us that way. And then you can always watch on Facebook Live. We've got a Twitter account, at P. Lally Show. There's just so many ways to engage with us, and we'd love to hear from you. That's what this show is about. Lively conversation with the people of our fair community and state, and through streaming our friends across the globe. So, Dan, yesterday we talked about how our coyote men uh, put a strapping on the uh, fine people over there in uh, SDSU in basketball. And then last night, the coyote women went up to Brookings. And uh, beat the beat the jackrabbit women up there, and that was pretty cool. So right now, as it stands, uh, for us both alumni, alumnists, alums of the University of South Dakota Vermilion, also of the band. This is this is a fine fine day for us, Dan. There it is. The Coyote Fight Song. You knew it was coming. I did. I was giving you a chance there to cue it up. And of course, uh, Dan and I don't sing the words because we don't know the words because we were both in the band. But we know the song. At least we know our parts. Yes. So that was fine. So Coyotes, man. Go Yotes. Top of the standings in the Summit League. But it's early. The state teams are both in second place. Honestly, it's setting up to be a fantastic Summit League tournament come March out there at the uh, T. Denny uh, Premier Center. Because they could both end up in opposite brackets and end up, if all things go right, it's a long ways away, folks, long ways away, end up playing in the championship game. How cool would that be? People in the North Dakota will just c- they'll come completely out of their seats over this <laughs> because they'll be mad because the tournament's here. Well, then the Fighting Hawks will be in the deal next year. Of yes. North of yes. UND. And then, oh, man, that's that finally it's all come back together, 
right? The old NCC. Yep. It feels good. It feels good. Uh, so the Coyote Women won. That was great. Uh, we're continuing Rich Show Week here on the show. This is the last day of Rich Show Week because tomorrow's the big concert. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, don't forget, at the Orpheum, music starts at 8. Um, but you know what I've missed here? I didn't know this was coming. January 31st. This is pretty cool. Maybe maybe you knew this, Dan. I did not. The Super Blood Moon. I had heard rumblings about that. The Super Blood Moon. Okay, so if you live, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be able to see this thing pre-dawn on January 31st. So for us here in the central time zone, eh, like right before dawn, I'm trying to find where that part is, but it's, it's uh, yeah, central time zone. This is from NASA. Viewing will be better since the action begins with the moon when the moon is higher in the western sky. At 4.51 a.m. Central Standard Time, the penumbra, the penumbra, or lighter part of Earth's shadow, will touch the moon. By about 6.15 a.m., the Earth's reddish shadow will be clearly noticeable on the moon. The eclipse will be harder to see in the lightning pre-dawn sky, and the moon will set after 7 a.m. So we've had these incredible big moons, you know, like super moons, because the moon's been close and all that. This one is a super blood moon. First of all, it's a blue moon because it's a second in uh, in a month. But it's also going to be red and close because of the penumbra. The penumbra. That's worth getting up for, don't you think? Actually, it would be worth getting up to drag the kids out of bed. I even think my, my 15-year-old might even be able to, to, to get up early to see that. <laughs> I think she'd be excited. I think that's going to be... St- just tremendous. I love that kind of thing. You know, there were, we had the whole solar eclipse this year, and that was cool. But some of the moons are, you know, when you see the the uh, like the reddish hue of the moon when it's like that, just through the normal atmosphere, and this one being so big, I I, I think I might have to uh, get up for that one. As long as you don't start singing bomba ba bomba 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 blue moon. I I can't do that now because I I don't have my uh, Barry White voice. Anymore. Oh nuts! No, I know it was a fleeting thing. Um, we have a great show for you today, Dan and I. We are going to have in the second hour Scott Vanderwall. He is the president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau and also VP right now for the American Farm Bureau. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. And we talked about this the other day. International Trade, NAFTA, uh, Farm Bureau has a report out that I thought was very interesting on where uh, different states, uh, how they're affected by NAFTA and where they trade. And remember, this affects us on the ground here because uh, when when commodity prices are low, when we don't have markets, we, we don't take in as much money in South Dakota. We know that. There's a direct relation. And so Scott's going to be here. And we're going to talk about that. The Buffalo Maiden is in for Weird Friends. She'll be checking in from the Black Hills Bureau with the latest in news. Theo Miller-Ryan of the Outdoor Campus is here in the at the end of the first hour chatting about what's happening in the state park system and outdoor activities. And I will have a P&L statement just after the break. Today's topic, um, Speaker of the House Mark Mickelson. That's what I'll say for right now. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 317 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO.
we're all going to get a little closer to free on the PNL statement. That's my hope, at least. Looking at the news and casting our gaze across threats to freedom across the spectrum. And today I uh, I saw this and it's a kind of a this is a continuation of something we've been talking about here on the Patrick Lally show for a while and that is some general craziness uh, going on out in Pier um, that I see as uh, the inability at times of our legislature to um, accept the will of the people to thwart the will of the people to act in their own self-interest. And the latest one is, and I'm going to tell you that to me, some of the, the common theme in all of this is Speaker of the House, Mark Mickelson, the scion of a governor, the grandson of a governor, uh, Sioux Falls representative, now Speaker of the House. And Mark's a fine guy. He's a friendly dude, and I like talking to him. However, this is purely philosophical and applicable in a practical sense in government and how we view what our government does in this state. So the story today, the story from the AP that uh, Mr. Mickelson is proposing a measure that would ask voters to end their ability to bypass the legislature to pursue changes to the state constitution. Representative Mark Mickelson said yesterday his proposal would better align the amendment process for South Dakota's Constitution with how changes to the U.S. Constitution are handled. So, you know, we have this uh, initiative and referendum system here in South Dakota. We were the first state to adopt it 100 years ago. And what that means is we as citizens can propose laws. If you get enough signatures, you can put it on the ballot. We vote on it. Law. We also can approve amendments to the Constitution. Same deal. Get the signatures. You need more signatures. You can amend the Constitution if you get the people to vote for it. And I understand the debate over why we can change the Constitution in that manner. I understand that. And there's been a summer study. We've had Emily Wanless on here, who was chairwoman of that study political science professor from Augustana College. We've talked about it at length. They made their recommendations. This wasn't one of them. And one of the things to try and take up is whether to increase to 55% the level of vote needed to pass a constitutional amendment. And that's fine. If that's what people want to do. But this, what this would do, what Mr. Mickelson's, Representative Mickelson's latest proposal is, would make it so that it would have to go back to the legislature for approval after a vote. And it would remove, it basically takes away the people's power. So the only the legislature has the authority to propose changes to the constitution. And the speaker thinks that's more in line with the U S constitution. I don't think it is. That's not how, you know, you, there's a lot of different ways to propose amendments to the U.S. Constitution, but it requires two-thirds uh, approval of the states. How is this analogous to that? This would be analogous to letting Congress change the Constitution, which they can't do. 
I think this is reflective of Speaker Mickelson's belief that South Dakotans don't know what's best for themselves. And we've heard this expressed ever since the last election cycle when voters approved Marcy's Law, which is a constitutional amendment, when voters approved IM-22, which was uh, billed as an anti-corruption amendment. And even though I had issues with several parts of it, the people approved it. And then the legislature just turned around and gutted it. So now it's back as a constitutional amendment. It's the, this is like one in a long series so far this year of efforts that I see that demonstrate that lawmakers in this state are, and I've used this word before, paternalistic. That they don't necessarily believe the voters when they tell them something, though they all, all believe the voters when they get elected. They got no problem with that. So think about some of the other issues that we've talked about with relation to Speaker Mickelson. He wants to ban out-of-state money from ballot measures, which is patently unconstitutional. It's, that's restricted free speech. He wants uh, counties to essentially uh, back off regulating animal containment operations, feedlots, essentially, uh, you know, industrial agriculture. And I've said we need to increase our animal production in South Dakota, but the problem isn't the counties. The problem is the state. And because you, our system is screwed up. It shouldn't be a county decision where to cite large animal feeding operations. It just shouldn't be. It's, it's too complex and too fraught with peril. But it needs to happen. It needs to happen at the state level. The speaker has said he wants to repeal Marcy's law, which we would require another constitutional amendment and another vote. Just fine. You can try that. But basically, he's telling people they're stupid. And that passed with 60-some percent. And, they, and there's a lot of flaws in that. But it was passed by the people of South Dakota. Yes, it was brought by a, a California billionaire. But it was passed. The speaker wants to end collective bargaining for faculty at our universities, which will only degrade our universities. He wants to raise the tobacco tax, which is fine, because you should raise the tobacco tax to try and prevent smoking. Particularly, we talked about that the other day on this program. The American Lung Association gives us terrible grades in terms of our prevention. He wants to use that money to uh, help pay tuition at uh, technical schools, and that's also a good goal. But that money should be used to help keep people from smoking. You want to you want to pay for education? Pay for education. You raised a half a pen, half a penny sales tax to pay for high school and, and elementary school teachers in K through twelve, and then that money's gone apparently. Because the ag economy took a dump, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So, if you want to rate, make, if you want to ensure that we have the money to do these things, you better start pushing back against some of the federal policies that are going to undercut agriculture. And we're going to talk about that in the second hour. But taken all together, what this demonstrates to me 
is that Speaker Mark Mickelson has very little faith in the voters. And I don't understand that. I disagree with a lot that happens in this state. And there are serious problems that have to do with a culture of paternalism and a culture that enshrines a particular outlook that has led to people bringing ballot initiatives. If the legislature would have listened and would have acted on some of the things that led to IM-22, if they would have listened and would have acted on the minimum wage, if they would have listened and would have acted on the tobacco problem that was initiated, that the, the dollar-a-pack tax that we have, but they don't. They continue to not listen to the people because of some perceived notion that anybody who disagrees with a lawmaker is some sort of knee-jerk liberal influenced by the Obama White House and, you know, the, and, and Tom Daschle somehow. That, it's not true. And what you've done is created a legislature and a government that is out of touch with what people need and what people want. So get it together. Quit trying to take away power from the electorate. If you don't like what they're doing, listen. That's the debate, not removing the tools of debate. That's the bottom line on today's PL statement. You can agree or disagree with me, Patrick at KSOO.com. Follow us at Twitter at P. Lally Show and chat with us there on Facebook. We're available in all the different ways. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, it's the Buffalo Maiden for Weird Friends. We'll find out what's going on out in the Black Hills. And then Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus. Stay tuned to Information 1000 KSOO. 335 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And we bring in my weird friend, the Buffalo Maiden, to the strains of Rich Show's Who Do You Love? Because, it, as you know, Buffalo Maiden, is is Rich Show Week here on the Patrick Lally Show. It is, it is. But man, you guys are like doom and gloom looking at you on the uh, Facebook there. Doom and gloom? It's That's, Friday. You uh, look like doom and gloom. I haven't seen you smile in 20 minutes. <laughs> All about a half sense, too. You guys got to get out more. You got to start enjoying life. Oh, my God. That's, that's two funny. falls that's bringing you down. <laughs> I got to get to the hills, man. Run to you the hills. You do, but, man, okay, I got to contest the fact that you guys uh, reported that the most dangerous intersection in South Dakota is Catron Boulevard and Highway 16. Come on. It's like five acres. It's huge. If you get in a crash on that intersection... You gotta be just not even looking. I don't even where 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 is that? That's on the way you to. You know, Custer, when you come, right? it is on the way to Custer. It's right out. It's a truck route outside of uh, 
it kind of bypasses, it gets out of Rapid City quickly. Right. It's beautiful. It's open. There's not a tree. There's not anything to distract you. How is that the most dangerous intersection? Because people are driving like mad people. You know what I mean? It's I got, don't know. I can see that. It, you know, they're all looking at their phones. They're trying. They're trying to look at their map, trying to figure out how to get to. Concert. They're looking at their GPS, trying to figure out how to get to Mount Rushmore, probably. <laughs> and then they go right there and bam. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. I assume it's like. Did you guys hear the story about the lady, the seventy-six-year-old lady driving her her Volkswagen? What? No. She was <laughs> driving from Wyoming, headed towards South Dakota. So uh, the highway patrol. Clocks are doing 96 in an 80 uh, in her Volkswagen, and she's 76 years old. So they start after her, and she proceeds to, uh, you know, go faster. She's going 100 miles an hour in her Volkswagen, headed towards the South Dakota border for whatever kind of escape she thinks she's going to get. And they uh, they finally had to put out, what do they call those things where the, the tires roll yeah, over and, the, 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 and they pop? Yep, the and that's strips. how they got her. Oh my God! Did she roll the? Was it a bug? Okay, I you, when you say I Volkswagen, I or like a you know one of those. I'm hippie thinking buses. of Jetta from the '80s. I mean, she's <laughs> 76. She's not driving one of those. What are those brand new ones? Aren't they turbos or something? Oh, they got some nice cars, but yeah, they, I want. I like to think that it, she's rolling like in a in a micro bus. You know, wagon <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> wagon. Boom! Yep. <laughs> there she goes. Hey man, is that Freedom Rock? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I just I I have I haven't heard any more why they uh, pulled her I mean they pulled her over for obvious reasons but they I don't know why they arrested her and what's so, she running uh, from Grandma Grandma's got some skeletons somewhere. I don't know but they did say that she was from Colorado Springs uh, Colorado so you know they're right there and there there's uh, trouble. red flag trouble That's you know trouble. the last Anybody time Colorado's trouble anymore <laughs> the last time <laughs> she was probably making her run you know what I mean she was making her run from. <laughs> Denver to Chicago. And she went north instead of south. I don't know. Granny's Making up speed. Granny's got a whole new bag, right? <laughs> I want to be that someday. I'm going to go, you know, try and get up to those, uh, that speed. Oh, I thought you were well, everybody say, wants to go that fast in Wyoming. I don't want to be making runs. No, yeah, I thought I maybe you wanted things. to be some sort of a pot mule or something. Yeah, well, you know, you never know. The last time There's they money pulled, in that. Yeah, there is. The last time they pulled somebody over at, like that going across South Dakota... The guy had his mom dead in the trunk, so you just don't yeah. know. <laughs> Creepy. Well, there there isn't a trunk in a Volkswagen, right? Isn't it the hood or yeah. something? I don't remember. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it would, if you had a dead body in your Beetle, it would kind of change the, the handling of the car. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. Oh, well. Anyways, that's, that's, that's about awesome. the most excited thing out here. That's awesome, though. That's the kind of thing that happens in the Black Hills. People just trying to get to mm-hmm. some sort of refuge, to get to their bunker in Igloo. Right, then you're good. Then it's all clear from there. <laughs> you just lock it up. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. There's still a few available if you need it. It yeah. is the stock show this weekend out here, so I'm sure you're on your way out to uh, check out uh, the bulls and um, whatever else they do at the stock show. I have, it's huge. I guess I think it's, yeah. it, it might be as big as your Pheasant Fest that they keep counting down to in Sioux Falls. We are counting down to Pheasant Fest, and boy, am I and, thrilled. But uh, so the stock show thing, I've always heard about it. Is it just just people selling cattle? No, gosh, no. Oh, There's okay. a rodeo. Well, you got that rodeo, and then you've got entertainment. They actually do a beer and boots night, which I'd love to go see. Um, and then they have a bunch of uh, fashion shows because you know how cowboys like those fashion. 
and uh, they just do a bunch of stuff, I guess. I, I, I haven't been in probably 20 years. So. But you have been to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 20 years ago. <laughs> I, uh, it sounds like something I should experience, though. You, know? you, should. you should. Everybody should see a rodeo once in their life. And then the stock show. I mean, this is huge for, uh, for Rapid City and the, and the surrounding area. I know um, it's there's a, big a lot deal. of steak out here this week. <laughs> I know it's a big. I'm still. I'm just about done with vegetarian January. By the way. Oh, good. I have not. How that I have not faltered, and I'm. I'm wondering if it's something I should continue. It's pretty easy once you start it. Yeah, it's not so bad. I have. I have a, a helper, so that that does some of the cooking, so that helps a lot. Otherwise, I'd just be eating yogurt every day. You know, <laughs> we we have a mutual friend. Our mutual friend, he's probably listening from his uh, his home in Florida, who uh, has gone vegan, complete vegan. And that seems hard. Vegan is hard, um, but you know, it's because I guess it's a lifestyle, right? It's not a <laughs> it's not a choice; it's a lifestyle. That's right. Um, yeah, I it's not anything I'm interested in, but um, no, no, but it, it probably works for some people. I wonder if I could make if I could be vegan, not vegan, but vegetarian plus bison so the only meat yeah. i would eat and not I, I don't mind the ground bison anymore i used to be kind of worried about it because they put all kinds of stuff in there and i just want the meat but just only, not my bison no 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 no, not yours no no no, no. i'm talking about Ted turner i don't know if i no, have to say his name. not that guy uh, <laughs> some guy other people yeah. you know you could see some a guys, random yeah you see a random bison burger on a menu and you're like mm, is it how much is it how much is it? Five percent? Yeah. Ten yeah. percent? This cow that we, we made are a hundred percent. Yeah, I know. Yours are great. This cow that we mm-hmm. have actually once actually saw a bison, so we call it a bison burger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm thinking just the tenderloin. That would be my only Oh you know what I'm saying? By the way, we have uh we will be having tenderloin at some point. Soon? You might have to make a trip out here. Because that's like gold. That's that's more than gold. Yes. So at your restaurant, the the, mm-hmm. the Sage Creek Grill, right? I'm kind of keeping it a secret because once it, the word's out, then it's just crazy. Okay, I won't tell anybody. Um, right. But you'll just have to let me know when that happens, and I will clear a weekend, and I'll be there. Maybe you guys will get some smiles on your faces as your head <laughs> towards the the sun setting, and feel and smell some clean air, and. Just get out of that that crazy town. We'll leave on January thirty first at midnight, and then we'll see the, the the blood, the super blood moon yeah. setting yeah. before our eyes. Oh. You probably have to do that a little bit earlier than midnight. Yeah, maybe. No, yeah. that'd be so. I'd be out there when the sun when the when the moon comes down, like at four or five o'clock in the morning. It'd be perfect. Ah, yeah. is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Well, the, and if you're going west, you're to- you're chasing it, so you get to watch it longer. Right, don't forget the time change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, anything else exciting going on? Do you have snow? Do you have any snow? We have very little snow. You know, we were up to 50, 60 degrees here this week, so we have very little. Rapid City didn't have hardly any. Down south, there's still hot springs, that area. They had over a foot, so they're mm. still melting down. Um, I hear that the fat tire trails up in the northern hills are, are pretty snow-packed. Um, we're supposed to get some snow, I think, later this week, so that will be helpful. Well, you know, I'm point. thinking sometime in February, we'll pack up the bikes, come on out to the hills, uh-huh. and have some tenderloin. How's that sound? That sounds great. Mark I'll be calendar. here. 
Uh, Buffalo Maiden, thanks for hanging out with us today, and we'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, and get smiles on those faces. Dan, you're almost done. <laughs> that worked. Thank you. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, we're going to talk to Thea Miller-Ryan of the Outdoor Campus. That's on Information 1000 KSOO. 347 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And the bright horns of Rich Show's My Rockin' Autopsy, My Rockin' Autopsy, brings in Thea Miller-Ryan. We use that music, Thea, because uh, it's Rich Show week here on the Patrick Lally It Show. is. Yeah. We were just out in, the, out in the entryway. We were talking about necropsy, not autopsy. But... Oh. <laughs> I was not partial to that conversation. You weren't in on that? No. We were talking about when we um, you know, cut apart animals to find out what happened. Oh, yeah. Necropsy. Like yeah. what they ate. Yeah. What yeah. killed them. Really interesting. Uh, that sounds like a, a, a biology class on steroids. Oh, it's it's what it's like to be a biologist for Game Fish and Parks. Oh, yeah. Thea Miller-Ryan, well, I should introduce her. She is executive director of the Outdoor Campus, mere steps away from the Palatial Studios here at KSOL Results Radio. Uh, one of the best places in the city, the Outdoor Campus at 49th and, uh, well, what do we say? Oxbow. Oxbow. Mm-hmm. Yes, 49th and Oxbow. Thanks. I, wanted to, I was going to say Tennis Lane, but that's my road. That's your road. Yeah. yeah, we're about a block off. Right next to the Sanford Wellness Center there. It's right? just, how many acres is the Outdoor Campus? Um, Well, if you include the rest of the park, official, yeah. the official Sertoma. park. Yeah. yeah, Sertoma. It's about 100 acres. That's pretty good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A little oasis in the middle of our city. It really is. And it's open all year round. It is. And it's one of my favorite places to go and just get outside for a while. Thanks. In the middle of winter on a sunshiny day. Yeah, it's it's great. We had people coming out with skis today and I had to disappoint them. I'm like, <clears throat> there is no snow left in this isn't park. Isn't that amazing? I know. They asked me if they could ski down on the Oxbow. I said, I saw open water on that, too. I sure oh, wouldn't. No. So, yeah, and bummer. I, I'm a cross-country skier, and it, yeah. it's been a tough year. Uh, the last, tough, last couple of years, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Two years ago, we had a nice, long snow pack. Now, mm-hmm. I like I don't like that for other reasons, but it was pretty good skiing. But. Yeah. Work Thea is like, yay, snow. <laughs> <laughs> Home Thea is like, dang, shovel. <laughs> so what uh, you have all kinds of stuff going on out there at the Always. outdoor campus. Yeah. And uh, what do you have coming up like? February. What's how's February looking? Oh my gosh, we have so much coming up in February. But one of the big things I wanted to tell people about, um, we almost never have openings, and I don't know why we do right now. But February twenty third, from four to six, we have this family class that's all about raptors, birds of prey. Yeah, the University of Minnesota Raptor Center is coming, and you bring your whole family. You come for the full two hours. And we're going to rotate you through stations where you're going to learn about different birds of prey. You're going to make some things. You're going to meet an owl. And then at the end, we're going to do this big presentation that has eagles in it. Oh, my God. Like live, live eagles? Yes. Yeah, those Minnesota people, they know what they're doing. They do. They're so amazing. And uh, we and they rescue have... animals. They rescue raptors, right? Don't they yeah, do that? Yeah, we even send them from South Dakota. We send them over there. Oh, wow. Yeah, you have you have to have a lot of permits to rescue eagles. So um, they know what they're doing over there. They're really good at it. And uh, they also spend a lot of time doing education to teach people about eagles. Oh, man, we're getting more and more eagles around here. It's we so, are. so cool. It is. Every year it's our goal to catch an eagle on our trail cam at work. Have you? 
We did once. We had a dead deer um, ah. out on the river, and an eagle stopped one day to take a few bites. Little little nibble, just a little something to keep tight, some something tied him over. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, the raptor class is yeah. what day again? February twenty third. Yeah, Friday, February twenty third. It's from four to six. That you do need to register for it. We have fifty eight openings still, so we can get in a few more families. Oh wow! Um, and you can register online on our website, which is outdoorcampus.org, and be sure you select Sioux Falls because we have one in Rapid City too. And uh, then um, you can register that way, or you can call us at 362-2777, and we'll also get you registered that way. Can I just come by myself? You can, but I'd really <laughs> like it if you'd register. But yeah, you don't have to bring no, kids. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I can just you. register by myself. <laughs> you can, okay. yes. Because that, that may be what I do. What? The, well, wait a minute, what time is it? Four to six. Ah! Yeah, it doesn't... Unless there's a game or something yeah, when, yeah, you know, maybe. sometimes that happens That happens. Maybe, uh, maybe I can just tape something. Sure. And then I just leave Dan here on his own. Sure. You'll have to do something for Facebook Live, though, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. What do you think about that, Dan? You cover for me on that day? Ooh, well, if the price is right. <laughs> <laughs> See, there it went. Thanks, Dan. There it went. Um, so uh, that's, that's coming up in February, mm-hmm. but you've got other stuff going on, too. We do. Um, we are making some changes at the outdoor campus. And um, I, I don't know if people will notice it as kind of a gradual thing or not, but we are really working hard to move toward family programming. So we're trying to involve the adults. Um, we've been teaching kids for 20 years, 21 years now over there. And uh, we really are going to up our game on what adults can do too. So we're really searching for those people who are Oh, 18 to 35, um, kids or no kids, we want them to be involved in the outdoors too. So we have a series, we have a whole summer and spring full of exciting things, including a series of um, lead nature hikes through a variety of state parks in the area. Yeah, we're going to really up our game on fly fishing. Um, We've done a lot of entry level stuff for a lot of years, and so we are going to go to the second level. You can still get the entry-level stuff, but we're going to teach you another notch up. And you said uh, you're going to focus on uh, age group 18 to, what did you say, 53? Yeah, 53. (laughs) Got it. Good. I slide just underneath that then. That's Uh, awesome. Basically, anybody um, that's not a kid, Mm -hmm. where you can bring kids, but we we really feel like we're missing the adult population of people who want to learn more about the outdoors, so we're going to take it there. And again, all that stuff as they come up, when, when do those classes start? Um, the, uh, they'll start this spring. The program brochure for spring comes out, um, February 7th, and I believe it opens on February 14th at 7 a.m. Oh, right on. People can register. That's great. And again, same website, you find all that stuff, right? It's all there. Or if you have a question, just call me. That's easiest way. And uh, I'm sure Dan has been, Uber producer Dan Peters has been busily posting all the links, necessary information for people. Thank you, Dan. At P. Lally Show. (laughs) Yes, he's nodding. I'm getting in the affirmative. Well, yeah, sure I am. Yeah, because he always does that. I don't even have to tell him. He just does it. He's smart like that. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> um, say, I saw you posted something on the Facebooks because we're friend on the Facebooks right. and uh, and the Twitters. And uh, you're, uh, what's this deal with pink hunting? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have to. It is about hunting, but I have to take off my outdoor campus hat. Okay, you are just Thea Miller Ryan, private Miller-Ryan. citizen. I am really railing against pink camouflage. 
It is driving me crazy. Um, Michigan is trying to pass a law right now that you can um, have pink camouflage in addition to orange, which that's no problem. That's fine. But they published this list of reasons why pink was good. And it included things like women want to look good when they're hunting. They don't want to be mistaken for men when they're hunting. Well, because we'll shoot men. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's crazy. Oh, my God. And then it made me think about pink sports jerseys. Why would I, as a Vikings fan, want to wear a pink pink one? one? Of course I want to wear purple. And pink hunting clothes, kid clothes. I walked down the aisle at Target today at lunch, and I looked at the little girl shirts versus the little boy shirts. Mm -hmm. Do that sometime. Oh, we're gender stereotyping. Oh my gosh! And it was—it seems like it's getting worse, but it is. We women, we are not a special interest group. We are half of the population. Yeah, that's good. That's a good line. We're not a special interest group. We're half the population. I like that. That's right. And with that, Thea Miller Ryan. Thank you. Uh, formerly executive director of the Outdoor <laughs> Campus. That's right. Thanks for being here for the regular slot, and we'll see you next week. Can't wait. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters, we're going to talk to uh, about international trade and NAFTA and a lot of good stuff that affects you every single day. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 358 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. This is Rich Show, Lamb on the Prairie. Don't forget, big Rich Show concert tomorrow night, Orpheum. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. We're going to talk to Scott Vanderwall. He is South Dakota Farm Bureau President and the Vice President for American Farm Bureau. We're going to talk about NAFTA, what it means for South Dakota. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fourteen on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And as Rich Show Week comes to an end, this is Black Railroad. Which has little or nothing to do with my next guest, but that's okay because we've been we've been celebrating Rich Show here all week. But uh, we've got with us in studio today Scott Vanderwall, who is the president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau and vice president of the American Farm Bureau. Scott, thank you for coming into studio today. Thank you for inviting me to come in. Great opportunity. So, first of all, I think it's important for people to understand what exactly the Farm Bureau is. Um, And, you know, farmers know what it is, but day-to-day folks out there probably don't know who you are or what you do. So, Scott, who who are you and what do you do? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, uh, again, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today and talk about uh, international trade, which is hugely important. South Dakota Farm Bureau is our state's largest ag organization. It's a general organization where we represent every commodity that's raised and sold in South Dakota. And on the national level, it's the same way. We're by far the largest ag organization in the country. 
uh, with nearly six million member families. So we represent uh, commodities uh, all the way from row crops to livestock to fruits and vegetables and anything that's raised for food, basically, and including ornamental um, type um, crops like that. Mm-hmm. So, and then the and the the how do you get to be the first of all president statewide? How long have you been doing that? I uh, became president in 2004, June of 04. So you've been doing it a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. It's a full-time gig. It can be, and uh, actually it isn't. Uh, it's not a full-time salary position in our case. I still farm with my family by Volga. And uh, so between the three jobs, it keeps me busy. Yeah. So how'd you end up, how long have you been vice president of the American Farm Bureau? I'm starting my third year on that. Just wow. just reelected at our national convention a couple of weeks ago. And so what does that entail? Uh, working with the president uh, very closely, uh, anything he can't get to, if he's got a function or something, he'll maybe ask me to do that. Uh, otherwise, it's uh, basically other duties is assigned in that case. <laughs> uh, you know, work with the president and lead the organization and, and make sure our policy is implemented to the best of our ability. So it involves a lot of travel, representing Farm Bureau? It does some, yes. Uh, uh, I probably get to Washington, D.C. six or seven times a year and various places, other other areas across the country as well. So are you effectively, uh, do you lobby then? Can you Are you a registered lobbyist at the state and federal level? I am not a registered lobbyist. Uh, we work with our congressional offices very uh, frequently. Mm-hmm. We also uh, work with our state legislators, but I am not the lobbyist for either our state or national organizations. Uh, that's a whole different deal. Those people live it mm-hmm. um, every day. They're full-time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's best if I don't muck up the works in a case <laughs> like that. But you're there to, uh, as, a, as a family farmer, to be... Um, a, a, a voice for the family farms that are that underpin the organization essentially that's right not just and family farms it's all kinds of different agricultural enterprises right right yeah and the lawmakers will tell you that they like to hear directly from farmers the people that can tell their own personal stories mm-hmm. whatever situation it might be if we can go to washington or to pier and say this is how this issue affects my family farm mm-hmm. they really eat that up yeah absolutely so uh we've been um talking on this program quite a bit about trade policy because it affects us in South Dakota. Not just in a philosophical sense, but a very real sense in terms of the, the income of the farmers, which means income for companies, which means income for the state of South Dakota and Sioux Falls. And in fact, our flat sales tax rates are blamed primarily on a slump. It's not a really a, it's not, the farm economy is not terrible right now, is it? Um, we would say it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, not terrible, but. It's been worse. It's really, really challenging right now. So like uh, a bushel of corn right now is three bucks or less uh, than that? At the most, 280 to $3. And it was uh, before the, re- like right bef- during the recession, maybe seven, eight, it was mm-hmm. around Seven or eight bucks, right? Yeah, exactly. Back Those were good. 2007, eight. And that's what really helped South Dakota weather the recession in better shape than a lot of other places. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about is, is it shows how South Dakota relies on agriculture because during the uh, seven and eight recession when the rest of the country was really in the dumper, South Dakota didn't feel it all that much. So we got through that, and now with the farm economy where it is, now we're kind of feeling it, and one of the statistics we talk about um, is that uh, in South Dakota, uh, the ag net farm income in 2011 was 3.8 billion dollars, and last year was around 800 million. 
Hmm. So that's a huge drop. Say that again. So those what years? In 2011. Yep. Uh, net farm income was 3.8 billion dollars, and last year was 800 million. So a drop of three billion dollars. That's is that just price? Well, it's it's a little bit of everything, but a lot of it is. Yeah, that would be eight dollar corn compared to two dollar corn right now. And soybeans. And that's a 75 percent drop. Soybeans so, were as high as like 12 bucks a bushel, right? Oh yeah, more than that, 13 to 15 at times, and now it's around nine. Still, so and not better drop. than at historic lows, but. It, a lot less than what we were doing. Right. And you have to remember that expenses went up tremendously mm-hmm. during the uh, 08, 09, all the way to 13. And it's it's really hard to get those expenses to come back down. Seed companies, fertilizer companies, uh, they, they don't like to lower their prices, although no. they have some. Really? Uh, not as far back as what our prices have gone. I, I suppose they have to do that at some measure to be competitive mm-hmm. with yeah, each they, other. Eventually they have to, yes. And, th- and that's where competition comes in, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the, so we also have livestock production. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How has livestock production fared in that same time period? Probably a little bit better. Um, you know, the, the prices haven't dropped by 75% like corn has. Uh, livestock tends to be a little more cyclical. Um, obviously, the cow-calf producers, anybody that's raising pork from farrowing to finish, uh, they're price takers just like our, like we are in, in the crops area. Uh, from a feedlot standpoint or anybody that feeds feeder pigs, that's a margin basis or margin business at that point. Um, so you kind of control your destiny there depending on how you uh, how much you pay for them. Mm-hmm. But the reality is is that that is that's a steady, I won't say it's not a decrease, it's a, it's a shrinking of the rate of growth of our sales tax in South Dakota mm-hmm. and in Sioux Falls that is caused for so much concern is on a, it is uh, directly proportional <laughs> to the slide in prices in for, for commodities, right? Yes, absolutely. That's fair to say? Right. Okay. Because as net farm income goes down, uh, farmers don't spend as much in town, whether it's uh, buying new pickups and tractors or um, upgrading their homes or whatever it is. We're talking with Scott Vanderwall. He is president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau and vice president for the American Farm Bureau, talking trade. And uh, trade's in the news, obviously. The president is in Davos, Switzerland. I, he was there yesterday. I, I, maybe he's back now. Um, so it's been uh, really uh, part of the conversation. So going through this campaign uh, in 2016 and the conversation around that, when when we start talking about trade and, and tearing up trade deals, what do you hear? Well, you know, during the campaign, there was a lot of rhetoric about the trade deals and what a bad thing NAFTA was and all, all those things. Uh, we didn't agree with that. That causes us a little bit of heartburn because obviously agriculture, both in South Dakota and nationally, has, has gained tremendously from NAFTA. In fact, uh, from the, when it was started... Uh, we had a trade with Canada and Mexico of about $8.9 billion in 1993, and it went to $38 billion in 2015. So it's been tremendous. So we've been spending a lot of time working with the Trump administration to help them understand and remember what a good deal they've been for agriculture. And then if they want to impre- improve the trade deal for other areas, other industries, that's great, but don't use agriculture for leverage. He said he's going to tear it up. He has mentioned that a couple times, but he assured us at our convention a couple of weeks ago that agriculture would be okay and that, that they understand and realize the importance to agriculture. 
I think we need to, uh, I, w- I want to talk about that in particular because the negotiations are ongoing right now. We are currently right. in round six of renegotiating NAFTA, correct? Right. If we, how can you carve out agriculture from the negotiation? If, if you're going to come down and hit uh, Mexico or Canada with tariffs on to try and help man- small manufacturing, light manufacturing in particular. Um, why would Mexico or Canada just say, okay, well, we're still going to pay you for the grain. That's fine. We'll mm-hmm. keep paying you what we've been. Why wouldn't they just put tariffs on the grain as a leverage point? Well, ideally, you'd want to take the tariffs off of things. That's what we've yeah. really been striving to do. You know, back uh, 30, 40 years ago, the trade deals that were put in place basically opened up the United States market to other countries, but we had high tariffs that we had to pay to the other countries. Mm -hmm. And now the latest ones, NAFTA included, tried to reduce those tariffs as close to zero as we could get them. So back to your point with when we're uh, negotiating with Canada and Mexico now, what we'd try to do is get them to lower all those tariffs and try to make uh, trade as close to free and fair as we can. And that has worked. It has worked very well. And uh, you know, there there are trade barriers that are in place. Uh, there are little issues here and there, like in Canada, we've got the, the softwood, softwood lumber thing going on. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, dairy. Um, those are issues where they've got, uh, for instance, in dairy, Canada has a, a supply management system that they're very proud of, and they don't want to give in on that. Mm-hmm. And that's probably going to be a sticking point going forward, and it might have to be something we agree to disagree on, but hopefully it won't blow up the entire NAFTA agreement just because of that. We're going to come back and talk more about what is a very important topic to South Dakota and Sioux Falls, international trade for agricultural products. We're, we're going to talk about the TPP. We're going to talk more about NAFTA and get into how it affects us and what we can do about it. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four thirty-three on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSO. And we are continuing our conversation with Scott Vanderwall. He is the president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau and vice president for the American Farm Bureau. Scott, uh, so in your job, you go to Washington a lot. Do a little hobnobbing, do you? A little hanging out, a little schmoozing. Is that is that how that works? Well, a lot of times when we're out there, we'll make appointments to go see all three members of our delegation and uh, talk to them about the issues that are going on at the time and make sure that uh, we're on the same page on things. We've got a great relationship with all three offices, so it's really fun to do that. Do you think our delegation, they're, they're ag-friendly, clearly, or you don't get elected to South Dakota, but are they on the same page as you? They are, for the most part. Uh, very seldom do we have any uh, areas of disagreement, and usually if we do find something, we can work it out. So I wanted to talk a little bit... So NAFTA, that's that's sort of the, the point of the spear right now, and we're in the renegotiation of that process. Um, and I, I think that from the, if you listen to the president's rhetoric, he says it's the worst agreement that any country has entered into ever, and he wanted to tear it up. He said, tear it up, first day, tear it up. And earlier we were talking about the degree to which it's helped South Dakota. Now, going, it's a North American free trade agreement. It's Mexico and Canada and us, and it was uh, uh, passed, I think, during the Bush administration, right? The first Bush administration, right, yeah. and then in, in and then uh, put into place uh, during the Clinton administration, and it mm-hmm. slowly built from there. Right. 
Um, and, and we talked about the growth in exports for South Dakota and how it's been good for us. And there's a Farm Bureau report, and that this is what caught my eye initially, the degree to which South Dakota exports to Mexico and Canada is beyond anything I understood. So corn, for instance, um, South Dakota, 100% of our exports of corn go to Mexico and Canada. That's an amazing number, isn't it? I, I think there's some economics involved there too, you know, just because of transportation issues. Uh, they're close by. Yeah. They're yeah. both our close neighbors, but yeah, that's, that is remarkable. And I'm the, the, I, we were talking what percentage of our corn is actually exported, do you know? Um, on a general basis, about one out of every three rows of corn and soybeans both are exported, somewhere between 33 to 45%. And with corn, another third goes for uh, ethanol production, right? Is that still true? Uh, it is, and the co-product that comes back out of that, wet distillers, grain, DDGs, uh, which is a dry product, uh, goes back as livestock feed as well. And a lot, some of that, and the, and the soybean byproduct as well, gets exported. Exactly, yeah. Uh, that's a big business, right? It is. Yeah, we've got the soybean plant at Volga, South Dakota up there, and a lot of that uh, soybean meal goes on trucks and goes up Interstate 29 to Canada. To, and that where they feed pigs and cattle right. and whatever else you do with it. Um, but it's a, it's a very much, uh, also soybeans, 100% of our soybean exports go to Mexico and Canada. Um, but it's not just that. Uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, we are, we're not a huge fruit and vegetable right. producer, like you know, we're not California or anything, but we do have some, 100% of that. And, uh, you know, I imagine not a lot of that could get shipped because it's, it's more difficult to ship. But, mm-hmm. um, but then the livestock and meats, 46% uh, of our live animals exports go to Canada and Mexico. Um, the the uh, uh, amount of, of beef, processed beef and, and pork, Beef, 91%. Pork, 65%. Poultry, 72%. I mean, this is our market, right? Exactly. So what do you tell the president or his people, Sonny Perdue is the ag secretary, Mm -hmm. when you hear the rhetoric about NAFTA, what do you tell them? Well, it makes us a little nervous when he talks like that, but... If, if you understand the way the president works, he, he makes big statements like that to get leverage to renegotiate things. And we work very closely with Secretary Purdue. He's a great friend of ours. He's a, he's a personal friend of our national president, Zippy Duval, and they talk fairly often. And he has assured us that he's working every day to make sure the president remembers and understands about the, the importance of NAFTA to agriculture uh, on a general basis in the United States. So we're trusting that the, the people that the president has put around him will keep him on track and, and keep from, from uh, following up that, that agreement that's been so good for us. Couldn't he just say you know, a nice thing about agriculture every once in a while? I mean, couldn't he just say, our farmers are doing great, but our, our uh, manufacturers aren't? Well, actually, he did. When uh, he was at our national convention here a couple of weeks ago, he was very complimentary to agriculture, uh, talked about agriculture being the foundation for prosperity. Uh, everything starts there and, and works its way up. And he did assure us that, that he understands uh, the importance of NAFTA and that we'll be okay. So we're going to hold him to that. But the, he says, <laughs> I, I know it just makes you nervous, but do you, when, when you talk to the congressional delegation, do they say, listen, we're talking to the president, don't, don't listen to him? Mm-hmm. No, they don't say don't listen to him, but 
it's just a constant process where we work with everybody, all the policymakers, everybody that's making decisions in Washington and, and in our state as well, uh, to help them understand what the important things are. Um, we're talking to Scott Vanderwall. He is president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau and talking about trade, international trade, which is hugely important to South Dakota. Uh, uh, I don't want to let the TPP get away from us here, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which never went into effect, right. which was with 11 countries in Asia. Um, was losing that agreement, a, what did you think of that? Was good, bad, didn't matter? No, we were very much in favor of that. It would have been about a $4 billion with a B uh, dollar increase to agriculture as far as exports go. Uh, some of the countries that were involved in that, for instance, Japan, we don't have very much market share in, in those countries, and we very much look forward to that. Japan is a, is a huge market opportunity for the United States. So that was a disappointment to us, although we, you know, we saw it coming. Uh, President Trump said before he was elected he was mm-hmm. going to do that. Um, now, a, a ray of hope just the last couple of days when he was over in Switzerland, he said he, he may be interested in going back to the table and working on that. Uh, we'd be very much in, for, in favor of that because uh, we thought it was a great thing for agriculture. What did it do specifically for South Dakota? It gave us more ac- access to uh, some of the Pacific Rim countries that we didn't have access to before. Not China, by the way. Right. China was not, not part of it. China right. not part of it. That's right. Uh, but Japan, uh, Vietnam, some of the, these other little countries we don't think about much, but they're still uh, big market opportunities for us. And they're opportunities for um, meats, um, pork, beef, uh, the proteins that uh, consumers demand when their standard of living starts going up. Mm-hmm. And what, what would it have done to let us get into those countries? How does that work? Well, it, I don't know exactly the details of them, but it, it would reduce tariffs. It would uh, open up those markets so that the, the products can flow uh, both ways more easily. Uh, a lot of times when, when ag products are going somewhere else from the United States, we get the uh, Walmart-type trinkets and things like that in return. Uh, that's one of the, thorn, the thorns in President Trump's side that in other areas we have a negative trade balance. But in agriculture, we've always had a positive trade balance, and we're very proud of that. Because we... And and this is economics, right? We have the products. That's right. Well, if Japan has the products that we want to buy, uh, and I mean this is Japan, right? We 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 negotiated to using tariffs to get uh, Japanese car makers to build in the United States, mm-hmm. right? But can you do the same with, uh, you know, um, I'm thinking about Taiwan and all these different places where. There is highly reduced labor. Um, what does that mean for South Dakota on the other side of that? We need those people to buy our meat. Exactly, right. Um, and the TPP would have severely lowered, drastically lowered the tariffs that, that, that we're forced to pay mm-hmm. to get our products in there, or their, they pay. Then why, if we're dropping tariffs for ag, would we agree, would they agree to, you know, uh, pay more to get into our markets? That's, that's where I get stuck on these things. Yeah. I, don't, I don't understand how you can convince a country like Japan or Korea or Vietnam to, on one hand, pay more and then have us pay less. Well, in a pure sense, what, what you need to think about is um, when you're trading with your neighbors, you take something that you have too much of and you need to get rid of it and trade it to them and then do it the same way going the other way. 
So if we're not so good at raising uh, or manufacturing trinkets, whatever they might be, we can in import them from another country, and we sell them our excess beef and pork and, and mm -hmm. ag products that we need to get rid of. Uh, frankly, if we'd shut off our exports, uh, we'd be so awash in ag products, we wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. It seems like we'd be a little more friendly if that's... <laughs> that's, that's what I keep coming back to. I don't understand D these... Multilateral trade agreements, okay? On one hand, I understand this. We're not going to do that anymore, apparently. Mm -hmm. We're going to negotiate each one of these countries separately, whether it's Vietnam, Malaysia, Australia. Um, why are, are, what's the Farm Bureau think about multilateral trade agreements? Do you think that they've been good, or do you have faith that we can do this on an individual country basis? We think we can be successful individually as well. Um, you know, it is what it is right now where President Trump doesn't like multilateral um, deals. Mm -hmm. So we'll live with what we have. We don't really care how we get to the end goal. We just need to get there. Mm -hmm. And if we have to go and individually uh, negotiate with all these other countries, we need to do that. Um, you know, the multilateral agreements have been good as far as NAFTA goes. TPP we thought would have been good. Um, but however we can get there, that's what we need to do. Okay, we're going to come right back and talk with Scott Vanderwall. He's president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau. We're talking about trade. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 447 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are continuing our conversation here with Scott Vanderwall. He is president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau. We're talking about international trade. Scott, first of all, I I want to tell people uh, uh, where are you from. You said you're from Volga, the Volga right. area. Uh, uh, did you uh, grow up on the farm? Tell us your story a little bit. Yeah, I did. I had a great opportunity to grow up on our, our family farm. My dad and my uncle started it back in about uh, my late 60s, early 70s when they got out of the Navy. There were six of us boys that grew up on the same farm together. I was the oldest one. and Kind of by uh, virtue of being the oldest, I got to come back and, and start helping uh, farm after we got out of college. And I uh, got involved in Farm Bureau at that time. I grew up with it. My dad was actually a county president, and I got to ride along with him, hearing him tell uh, neighboring farmers why they should belong to an organization. And kind of uh, went from there and got involved in the county level and went up through the state and national. Wow. And the, and the Farm Bureau... Uh I suppose you went to state, by the way. I did, South Dakota State. Yeah. Sorry about the last two nights of basketball. <laughs> yeah, well, we yeah that wasn't it. a good time. No, 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 it was fine for uh, Dan and I, <laughs> but that's fine. We're not going to go into that now. Um, so the uh, uh, Farm Bureau, as, as I always thought, you know, insurance company, essentially. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the prime aspects of what you do is supply insurance to farmers, right? Right. It's got to be hard because it's hard to get insured mm -hmm. <laughs> by yourself. Yeah, and that was started way back when farmers really didn't have access to insurance products. And so Farm Bureau did start that, and it's been our really landmark service to members. And yes, uh, that's a, a common misperception among uh, um, consumers that Farm Bureau is an insurance company. And, and I've had people tell me that uh, nationwide all, all mm -hmm. around. And so we try to correct that misperception and say, no, this, it's a organization of farmers and people who are interested in agriculture. And by the way, this is a uh, service to farmers that's available and it, it's a good deal yeah um we're talking about international trade and the, the trade deals and the president in davos and all that uh average people um because as we've been talking about so much these trade deals affect south dakota 
in a in a significant way. What should, what do you people who aren't farmers, okay, uh, average citizens in Sioux Falls or Brookings or wherever they live, what should they do? What questions should they ask of their elected leaders, whether that's the congressional delegation or the governor or you know their legislators? Mm-hmm. What do you tell people? That's a great point, and and I would start out by reminding folks first of all about the importance of agriculture to our national security in this country. Uh, if as long as we retain the ability to feed ourselves with within our country, no matter else what happens outside the country, we'll still be able to feed ourselves, and that's of utmost importance to our security and our freedom. So from that point, then when we talk to lawmakers, is how do we make sure that the American agricultural industry remains financially healthy so that we can make sure that we don't have to start importing too much of our food and fiber to where we would become um, reliant on other countries for those items. Uh, Think about energy what's happened over the uh, last uh, 30, 40 years when we've become so reliant on other countries for our energy and you have a political upheaval of some kind uh, halfway across the world and all of a sudden prices are jumping all over and supplies are disrupted. We don't want that to happen to our food industry. Speaking of fuel, and we have, we've only touched on this, but, you know, a third of our corn goes to make ethanol, um, and a fair percentage of, of uh, soybeans go for biodiesel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the Trump administration has not been a real friend to renewables, it doesn't seem like. Are you, what's the message you're getting from the administration in terms of renewable fuels? Well, of course, we work very closely with uh, uh, Administrator Scott Pruitt with the EPA on that. And uh, I think the first perception that came out about him was that he was from Oklahoma, oil state. He wouldn't be um, uh, friendly to biofuels. But really, he's done a good job of balancing that and understanding biofuels and what it means uh, for many reasons. And, and so we've got a good, a re- good relationship with him as well and helped him uh, to understand the importance of biofuels and the renewable uh, aspect to all that. Does the Farm Bureau have a position on opening up the coastlines for oil exploration in some of these other places? We're in favor of uh, oil exploration wherever it can be done responsibly and environmentally um, sensitively, uh, just to make sure we we take care of things. Um, Anwar is a, is a good example of that. In Alaska. To, yep. Yeah, up in Alaska. Uh, that's been in discussions for many, many years, and, and that can be done responsibly as well, and, and we're in favor of that as long as we can do it that way. Uh, generally speaking, you would want us to not... Uh, we're, getting, we're approaching energy, energy independence from the time when ethanol really started to take hold in the 80, 70s and 80s, to now, the formula is completely different in terms of where our energy comes from. How has that? How will that affect ethanol going forward? Well, you know, there's so many different um, areas out there, so many different sources of energy, but uh, a lot of the very, very new ones, the high-tech um, products aren't really economically feasible yet. Um, ethanol is. It's a proven product. It's a mature industry, and we need to make the most of that. Now, uh, looking forward, they, they talk about cellulosic ethanol, wind mm-hmm. energy, those kinds of things. Those need a lot of work yet to get to where they can be economically successful without subsidizing them. Um, the uh, renewable fuel standard, not to get too much in the weeds on this because we don't have time, but uh, it was supposed to go up to 15, or the, the, the threshold up to 15%, right? Uh, did that actually get stopped? I can't remember. 
Uh, I think that's still in progress okay. within the EPA. Uh, we're in favor of, of uh, maintaining the RFS the way Congress intended it to be. And so we've been very involved in, in that as well with Administrator Pruitt to, Pruitt to make sure that he um, understands that. There's a lot of people that think that 30% is just fine. Is that the Farm Bureau's position? Well, it is in a lot of cases. Uh, we're not going to get in that discussion too deep, though, because the car manufacturers, uh, you get into warranty issues and things like that, and we're certainly not going to get involved in that. Uh, but we're very um, forceful behind our, our support for biofuels and, and using our products for energy, food, fiber, anything that we can create a market for. Scott Vanderwall, he is president of the South Dakota Farm Bureau and vice president of the American Farm Bureau. Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. I have too. Very well. We'll be right back to finish up the show on The Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 457 on The Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And this is the last moment, the last segment of Rich Show Week. This, of course, is Memphis, off the solo record, obviously, repurposed in. That was the future, this is the past, available tomorrow. This oh. is the one with the lottery ticket that's got a stain on it. Yeah, it's a stain by a box of juice. It's an awesome line. Hope to see everybody at the uh, Orpheum tomorrow night for the show. It's just fun to go and celebrate local music, which I'm a huge supporter of. There's a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of great bands. We'll continue to talk about that here on the Patrick Lally Show. Swim Empire on Tap is also tomorrow. Get out there. You can still go get tickets. Not many left. Get tickets now. SwimEmpireOnTap.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. I don't care.